0: Welcome to The Lost and Founder, the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs become the best versions of
1: themselves. I'm your host, Savage Brody.
0: <laughs> well, it's hard to find a decent pizza out here in, in California.
1: Yeah, it is. I, when I moved out here originally within a month, I was like, oh man, I might've made a terrible mistake because I just couldn't find any good pizza.
0: There's a place in, in West Hollywood called Vito's Pizza and it's the closest I've ever found to New York style pizza.
1: There's a, I'm wondering if it's, it's the same, if it's like a chain, because there's a Vito's in Santa Monica, on Santa Monica, huh. that is like this close to being like New York pizza. You walk in, even like the place has like the aesthetic of, oh, I just walked into a pizzeria in Brooklyn.
0: I have to go check that one out, I think, but yeah, now I'm getting hungry. So it was probably, oh, yeah, it it probably is, changed the it was lunch day. Today we have a heavy metal guitarist, JD McGibney from Angels in the Battlefield. How are you today, man? I'm doing good, Brody. How are you? I'm not bad. Just enjoying this SoCal weather.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a beautiful day today. It's like summer is here, but it's like a slow introduction. It's not that <laughs> one week a year where we get 90 degree weather and you feel like you're in a frying pan.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that. It's also one of those days where if you are having a shitty day, you can just literally just step outside for five minutes and uh, if or instantly feeling much better.
1: Get that mental reset. Or if you're close enough, go to the beach. Before we get
0: started into, uh, you've got a pretty, uh, pretty... Extensive career. You've done some really cool things, but uh, give us the 30 uh, second pitch on who is JD?
1: Oh man, who am I? It's always like a weird question for me, despite being like a performer, being like a guitar player, and always being on stage. Like when the spotlight's put on me like that, I always feel like shy is like the best way for me to describe <laughs> it because it's, oh, I, uh, I'm just me, but like. Um, I'm just a regular guy from Long Island, New York. Picked up guitar when he was a teenager and used that to uh, help kind of deal with what I later came to identify as anxiety and turn music into a career by playing on stage, doing session work, touring, enjoying myself. And I also really like pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's talk about your history with anxiety.
0: When was probably your earliest memory of when you started to realize there is something different about the way that I feel?
1: I think that is a difficult question to answer because I didn't realize that anxiety was a thing that I dealt with until I was like 29 or 30. And a really good friend of mine was just like, "You're everything that you're saying and you're doing, because I just went off on an anxiety loop and it was like a a tangent. He's like, that's all anxiety talking, buddy. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he just educated me a little bit because he is a little bit more versed in mental health and psychology. And I ended up realizing, oh, this is something that I literally have just been dealing with like my entire life because I can just recall... As far back as being like just a little kid and like three, four, five years old, like my earliest memories and just all, always having this sense of worry that was just always there. And by the time I got into like adolescence, I was a teenager starting to figure out who I was. You have like your normal confrontations with your parents because you're like, oh, I don't agree with this. I believe this way. And you have that butting of heads. At the same time, that little voice of worry just built up into this impending sense of doom that is just always there in the back of my head. and like every, basically since I was like a teenager until like even now, like sometimes it just turns into a really loud voice that like makes me question my abilities or question my motivations or question everything. and I always just have this fear of something's always about to go wrong for some reason or another it's kind of, you're always in this mentality of the worst case scenario, basically. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. And I could just be sitting down and not have any real like triggers, but there's always like stuff in the back of my mind where I'm like, I have to think about this. I have to worry about this. Did you think about, were there any
0: particular things that triggered these types of, these types of thoughts or these types of mood spirals that, that you went to?
1: There are definitely things that are like consistent triggers for me. Growing up, I wasn't exactly the healthiest environment to be growing up in. Something that has continued is even to like now is like any kind of like yelling or any kind of potential for patient, whether it's verbal or like physical, I automatically have this reaction to tense up and just fear. Even if someone seems like they're disappointed, I automatically have that sense of, oh, there's going to be yelling or, oh, what's going to be happening? And like, it it could just be like somebody dropped a plate. Like my instinct is to just have that sense of fear like something's going to go wrong. And it took me a really long time and not until I was an adult to realize, oh, this is not a normal reaction. Yeah, you're going to get startled if something happens out of nowhere. Anybody is. But to have that like Severe fight or flight reaction recognized was not was not healthy. Was it just? Uh, did it just affect you mentally,
0: or was it like to have effect on your body as well, physically?
1: I actually, when I realized that anxiety was like just generalized anxiety was something that I was struggling with and dealing with on a daily basis, I went and started doing research, and I actually went and started seeing a therapist for the first time you know, in my life about a year and a half ago, but. I ended up coming across a book called Unwinding Anxiety, which helped me a lot. And anyone that is listening, I that is dealing with anxiety themselves, I highly recommend the book. But one of the things that the author points out is that one of the big things that he teaches his clients or the people who are he's he's helping, is that they should practice mindfulness. And one of the things that he points out is to focus on their physical feelings in the moment when they noticed oh i'm this is an anxiety loop and for me i noticed that a lot of times when i was getting anxious or i let you know that little anxiety voice take control i always felt warm like i was comfortable like I, it wasn't like it's really hot i gotta turn down the thermostats the best way I've been able to describe it, it feels, it felt like I was being microwaved, where like I was fine, but at the same time I was really like warm and like uncomfortable, and I always felt tense. Like my muscles would ache. Like I would have a neck issue. Like a lot. Like something I noticed is that like my eye will twitch if you know, I'm just really stressed. Like my eye will twitch and I can't control it. So those are the, like the physical symptoms, foot will twitch a lot. I bite my nails. Those are the kind of physical representations of how my anxiety comes out.
0: It's not the first time I've heard symptoms like that. I've heard everything from body your nails, the foot twitch, the eye twitch to people that just could physically just lock up, they can't move. They just basically just become like a lack like of a better term, a brick. You can't move them. It's
1: scary. Yeah. It's crazy what the human mind can do and have such strong effects on like the body. One of the biggest things that convinced me to go and seek professional help from a therapist was the fact that like I was just always was tired. I wasn't sleeping well. And if I'm being completely honest, from the time I was maybe like 14, 15 years old, I was like beginning of high school, middle of high school till year or two years ago. When I started going to see like an actual therapist, I just hadn't slept properly like I if I dreamed and remembered a dream like it threw me off because I just never slept properly like I just always have this con I just always would wake up regularly and I would be aware that I was waking up most of the time because I would wake up so I'd have to pee or I would just wake up and have this sense of worry over something that was just like bothering me or this sense of dread over this task that I had to do that was coming up the next day or something that had some sort of time sensitivity to it. And I just, I wasn't sleeping for two decades, basically.
0: You're talking about these thoughts of dread, like you have a task you have to do, you have an upcoming show. Like what specifically were those thoughts in your head? Is it that that thought of I'm going to fail at this task or this show is going to completely suck? What were you thinking in those moments?
1: Most of them have a similar... Thought process or like a pattern, and for me, it was always just questioning my ability. I just never felt that I was able to do anything. I never felt like I was capable. So, let's say I have to go on. Everyone has to do their taxes every year. Like. I was always afraid of filing my taxes because I was like, oh man, I'm probably just going to mess up something. I'm going to forget a piece of paper. I'm going to forget a document or someone's going to look at my financial statement. And since they're they're an accountant, they probably have like really successful clientele. They're going to see that I'm a musician and they're going to be like, oh, this guy is like a loser, stuff like that. And like stuff that made no sense and had no grounding in reality. It was just my own anxiety taking control and leading me down a path without any data. One thing that I struggle with, even to this day, being a musician, I'm an artist. And I honestly, I think I am terrible at my instrument. I love playing. I love writing music. I love playing music. I get paid to play music. But at the end of the day, because of the anxiety, I am extremely self-critical. And I just think that no matter what I do, isn't good.
0: It's interesting because you've had a pretty successful career. you have done some awesome stuff. The fact that your mind can actually tell you, Hey, you know, what you're doing right now, you suck, you're not good. Like that to me is, it just blows my mind. Now the human mind can actually do that to people.
1: I know. know and it's, uh, I honestly think me not being aware of what I was actually dealing with, dealing with anxiety and letting that train of thought basically go off on its own without using logic, I think it's hindered my ability to go even further. One of the, one of the oldest sayings is you're always going to be your, your worst critic. And that's true. Like I have experienced that ever since I picked up guitar, like I love it. It's great. Music has always been like a source of comfort for me. It's been a way for me to express myself. It's been a way for me to healthily vent and then come back and analyze my feelings. But I just think that I could always be better. Or I'll listen to someone that I look up to and be like, oh, man, I really admire that guitar player. They're phenomenal. I am nowhere near as good as them. And there's that sense of comparing myself to other people, which is, again, something that is common with people who deal with anxiety. And if you go down that path, it can lead down to a path of, say, depression or like other things that are linked to anxiety. Just so you bring that up, because one of
0: the reasons I started this podcast was Chester Bennington reading his story and the fact that he inspired millions of people, but still every day just couldn't escape his own demons, which eventually consumed him. Like it's just such, it's not just a sad story, but it's so common across a lot of musicians, a lot of artists. It's they put everything they have into their music, into their art, but it still doesn't help them with what they're going through in their head.
1: Yeah. And it's, I very much appreciate the fact that you have a podcast like this where you're encouraging people to share their stories and share what they're going through. And I think a big reason why people suffer so much, even when we look at celebrities, something like someone like Chester Bennington or someone like Robin Williams or Chris Cornell, is because... We can see these people and be like, they're extremely successful. Look at them. They're, they're rich. They're wealthy. They're millionaires. People love them. They have gold records. They have Oscars. They have like top hit after top hit. But there's still something that they're missing on the inside or something that they can't process or something that they can't get over emotionally. And the stigma around talking about what you're feeling in society is still very much a thing it's definitely a lot less than the past like 10 15 20 years but i do think that having these conversations openly and encouraging people to talk about when they are feeling down or when they are struggling with something it helps alleviate at least the symptom of feeling isolated which i think is probably just talking from like own personal experience like it helps alleviate a lot, just knowing that you can talk to somebody or you can, somebody else understands what you're going through. And it's not just, oh, I'm broken. I don't deserve this, or I don't deserve to be around people, or I don't deserve happiness because I'm different. Much struggles with something at some point. So I think I very much appreciate what it is that you are doing I appreciate uh, with it. this podcast.
0: No, I appreciate that. One of the, you bring up so many interesting points, but one thing I do wanna talk about is the fact that we are trying to get people, especially young men to talk about this, to talk about mental health, to talk about depression, because a majority of the suicide rate is men. And you know, we've been doing a lot of work with the NFL Players Association lately, with a couple of the NCAA college football teams. And a lot of these organizations now are pushing this agenda where they can actually just remove the stigma of, it's okay to talk about Depression. It's okay to talk about anxiety. It's okay to talk about when you're feeling like shit. We got to remove this stigma that if you reach out and want to speak to a friend or speak to anybody, you're less of a man for doing so.
1: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I very much appreciate. I like the fact that a lot of these bigger companies, these bigger organizations, are making that change and they're making they're implementing the education to younger and younger people. This way, we can make that change and we can teach the next, the next generation, the next group of people that are coming up that, Hey, it's okay to talk about this. This is what happened with like all these other generations prior who were not having these, these talks. And it's interesting too, because so many people now, I think are starting to see the value in opening up and sharing. And I think it's also interesting to see the dynamic of someone encourage somebody else To open up and talk and share about what they're going on going through and then helping them come something and then they themselves feel uncomfortable opening up and I can say that I am definitely one of those people where, like most of my entire life because because my anxiety made me feel it didn't have value. One of my coping mechanisms was to go out of my way to help other people and to help them conquer their battlefield. But I myself didn't open up. I didn't ever, I almost rarely talked to anybody if I was going through something difficult. It's only until like recently where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be vocal. I don't feel good today. And I'll talk to people I love, people who are my friends, my family, or even on social media. I'll be like, you know, today is a difficult day. And I didn't used to do that because I always felt like I didn't have value as a person. So if I have these negative feelings and share that with people, my value will go down. When in truth... We're all people. We all have emotions. We all have ups. We all have downs, different varying degrees, depending on who you are. But it's okay to express how you feel.
0: That's the interesting thing about depression, and anxiety is it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care that you're a rock star. It doesn't care that you're an NBA player. It doesn't care if you're a barista at uh, Starbucks. It affects everybody. Everybody's got their own unique story the way that it affects them. But like it, depression and anxiety, it, it it can and will happen to most people in one one way or the other.
1: It's really difficult to begin with to work with an individual on helping them because it is so individualized from person to person. Like you have symptoms, which are going to be generalized that you can identify things across the ward. You can look at them on and be like, oh, you might have this or look at somebody else and be like, oh, you might have that. But helping that individual person is very tailored to what they specifically need, whether it's a biological thing or whether it's something that's due to trauma. Yeah,
0: that's an interesting point too. It's when someone actually reaches out to you and say, hey, I need to tell you that I'm feeling like shit, I'm depressed, I'm anxious about this. I think in my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes you just have to be that friend that listens. Don't offer advice, don't say, go to therapy, don't go for a walk outside, go to the gym. Just Sometimes it just takes a friend just to listen to you for 10 minutes and just so you can basically relieve that burden.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's something that I think is being educated to us as a whole in society more is like doing just that sometimes you just need to listen like you don't need to fix anybody you don't need to have the answers sometimes people just want to talk sometimes people just need to vent like you just said
0: prior to you going to therapy speaking to a therapist did you even ever open up to any of your friends or your family about what you're going through
1: very rarely most From a very young age, I started distancing myself emotionally from, say, like, most of my family. It wasn't until, like, I was an adult that I started building deeper relationships with, like, specific individuals. And at this moment, I do have people in my family that I do feel comfortable opening up to and, like, talking with. And in general, I have become more comfortable just sharing how it is that I'm feeling. And as a kid, there were maybe, like, some friends, like, one or two at a time, maybe, it had a little bit of a wedge play between me and most of my family members because I didn't feel comfortable with most of the people in my family. And then also, I didn't really open up to a lot of friends all that much. I was more of the strong friend who was there to listen to people and go out of my way to help people. There were like some individuals, like one or two people at a time that I felt opening up to sometimes, but only if it was like really bad with something that I just didn't know what to do. And I would just, I wouldn't do it in a healthy manner. I would just vent to them and go in like a, an anxiety loop and just go around in circles with the conversation, just analyzing and like over analyzing things without having any data. And I would just go down an anxiety loop. But now after going to therapy and after realizing what was going on, what it was that I was dealing with, I have developed stronger relationships with family members and with friends. And just in general, I've started to just open up and be honest. Again, if I'm not having a good day, I'm just going to let people know. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Um, Or like even on social media, I've made it a point to have that conversation in an open platform because I think the more that we in general just accept, okay, I'm having a bad day. It's all good. I'm still a human being. I can do what I have to do, but I'm going to make sure that I give myself some time to decompress and gather myself because three decades of learned anxiety behavior takes a really long time (laughs) to unlearn and build new habits. Let's talk about your
0: day-to-day. So you say your anxiety creeps in when you have a task that's due or you're doing something throughout the day. What about those moments where you're performing. You're on stage. Does it creep in there? Is it in the back of your head, or do you just—is that your escape from
1: it? Music is my escape. If I if I'm up on stage, uh, it's weird to explain to people who've never been on stage, but anyone else that I've talked to that's been on stage or been a performer, like they just they get it when I say I step on stage and like a switch clicks, and I just I'm a different personality, but I'm still me. Like it's just another part of me, and like I just go. And whatever's going on in the show, whatever energy I have from any kind of emotions, whether it's good or bad, is just focused into the performance and, like, whatever is the essence of the art being presented. So I've never had anxiety the way that I normally feel it when I'm up on stage performing. Obviously, you're on stage, shit happens, and something yeah. breaks, or, like, yeah. you jump off, and it's, oh, I just disconnected my wireless, or I got to fix it. <laughs> All right. Anxiety is gone. Yeah. It's fixed. Keep going, but like th- there is never that sense of impending doom that like I've described earlier. It's uh, Kevin Love from uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers back in
0: 2017. He had a anxiety attack when he was actually on the basketball court during a game, and he left the court. Yeah, and oh, wow. it was it, the public perception, and even some of his teammates publicly called him out because they didn't know what was going on. They just assumed that he was being weak, and he just went to the locker room and didn't come back out. But the public perception that they they were brutal on him. They were like the he has no backbone. Like he's he's not the superstar that people think he is. Like why is he got earning that kind of money when he can't even come back out on the court? It's they didn't realize that at that time. Like he he described it as his world was crashing down around him. He couldn't breathe when they t- went to the locker room. Like he couldn't get off the floor again. It comes back to this stigma. Like you don't know what people are going through and. For a high-profile p- performance such as, such as yourself and guys like Kevin Love being up on stage, it can be a pretty daunting experience.
1: Oh, 100%. And it's stuff like that where it, it's like makes one afraid to open up. And again, speaking from personal experience, to having that kind of reaction to a moment of quote-unquote weakness, it, it's like, why do I? why would I open up? But the truth is... It's they, the majority of people are not educated on mental health or they're not educated on, oh, something might be going on. They're not trained from like a child to think of, oh, I, maybe I should look at this from that person's perspective for two seconds just to be like, oh, maybe something's going on. And yet you get that kind of reaction and uh, breaking that thought process and like the way we educate like ourselves and our kids is it's difficult, but like we have to we're literally fighting that reaction.. Yeah.
0: Can you recall what is your probably your, your worst moment you can think of with your anxiety? What was your rock bottom with it?
1: Oh man. without getting into too much detail, I like I mentioned earlier, I my anxiety basically led me down a path of just not having uh, not seeing value in myself as a person unless I was going out of my way to help other people. And that led me to go basically sacrifice my own physical and mental well-being to help others in order to make me feel good about myself. But obviously, that doesn't work, so I just kept doing it. And like the situations got more and more uh, severe. And it even led to me having that mentality going into romantic relationships. So the short version is that I ended up in a severely emotionally abusive relationship with a woman that I thought needed help. And I had to do it in order to help her. Just kept going down like a path of, she wanted me to do things that I wasn't comfortable with, but I felt like I had to attacks and, and give myself value. And I just constantly was having like, it's really hard to even just put into words like how it felt. Cause I was just always tense. I didn't think anything I was doing was ever good enough. Um, again, like I said, she was like emotionally abusive on top of making me do things. Or I chose to do things because of I've, how I was thinking. Cause you can never physically make somebody do something that they don't want to do. But that whole situation was probably my, my rock bottom. And when I left the relationship, it left me with a lot of baggage and a lot of, stewing around in what happened and trying to make sense of what really happened. And I think that relationship is a big catalyst for the course of action that I've chosen for my career and my life now, having been able to work through a lot of it. So the reason, one of the reasons why I'm vocal about mental health is because I've seen firsthand what it's like when someone has like severe mental illness, And it's heartbreaking, especially when it's someone that you love. And I myself have dealt with mental illness. And though I don't think it is anywhere near as severe as my, my ex or as severe as some other people, it's not easy. And I think the more that we open up and talk about these things, the more we can help one another in a healthy manner. Come overcome all this stuff. And we don't have to deal with uh, hearing about abuse. We don't have to worry about hearing about people taking their own lives. And I can definitely
0: relate to pretty much every word you just said. I've spoken at great length about my previous relationship. I think i blogged about it at some points too, about being with somebody that I suffer from depression, being pretty outspoken about that over for a number of years now. But I was in a similar situation to you where I was in a relationship where I thought I could fix somebody who was more broken than I was. And it's just this toxic situation where they take advantage of that. And then it just leaves you with this feeling of just being constantly lost. Like you're in this unwinnable battle and just, it eventually just breaks you down takes you to some pretty dark places.
1: A hundred percent. And something that I, you know, as I realized that realized in myself, And then also going through therapy and with the help of a therapist, no romantic relationship is ever going to be healthy if it is based on one person saving the other. Because if that's the rules that you establish from the get-go, if you change that dynamic in any way, you might ruin the relationship. The relationship might end because it's just, oh, this person needs help. This person's helping. And then you add that like romantic uh, aspect that makes things not good. Because, people need help. So if you have mental health professionals, their role in the relationship that you have is oh you're the patient, they're the professional helping you. So having having a relationship, not necessarily romantic, where like one person's helping another is totally fine. It's just when you throw it in that romantic aspect. So the fact that your ex and you had a relationship where one of you was helping the other one and where me and my ex where we one of us was helping the other one if anything changed in that dynamic, it was going to throw everything for a loop. So usually when a relationship is like that, people kind of stick to a very toxic cycle because they don't want to change what's going on.
0: You've seen a therapist. You've come a long way from probably your lowest points with your anxiety. Like what type of tools yeah, you know, and tricks and things do you do these days?
1: Identify when
0: you are in a spiral and how do you get yourself out of that funk?
1: Music has always been a tried and true to help vent in general ever since I picked up guitar when I was 14 but I have learned as time has gone on that say writing a song I'll write something and just let like my emotions go and just that's whatever comes out and then I can go back later and kind of look at the piece when I'm more calm and I can analyze what I wrote and be like oh why do I why did I feel this way why do I feel this way Do I still feel this way? And that has helped me work through things and analyze and take a more logical approach to it. Speaking from a more clinical aspect, I find that journaling really helps because I'm literally just writing out my thoughts. So what I normally do is I'll have, oh, this thought's bothering me. I'll write out the thought. And then I'll bullet point my train of thought in relation to that thing. So I'll be like, oh, this person said X, Y, Z, and it really upset me. And I'll, no, you know, the first bullet point, be like, it upset me because of blah, blah, blah. And I feel this way. And then my next bullet point will be, like, oh, I feel this way because of what happened when I was a child. And I'll be like, oh, I just had an epiphany. And, like, it'll help me, like, work through things that way. I also find, like, in the moment, if I find that I am being triggered with my anxiety, I will Stop. I'll pause and I will do breathing exercises. So I will just take deep breaths and regulate my breathing. That usually helps me keep calm in the moment. And those are probably like the big three. So music journaling and breathing exercises.
0: Pretty, pretty good advice there. So let's move on to something that you're passionate about. And I think it's one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. You guys are involved in a mental health awareness show. This is my brave.
1: Yeah. This is my brave is a nonprofit where their mission is to just encourage people to share their stories of overcoming mental illness or living with mental illness and addiction. And it's literally like what I've basically turned my personal life mission into, which is fighting the stigma against mental illness and just going, hey, we can all talk about this. And I've been doing a lot of press recently and the producers for the Los Angeles show, because there's like a parent company and then they do shows, kind of like grassroots things in different cities. So there's different chapters of this is my brave. So the LA saw an interview, a recent interview that I did and reached out to me and invited me to audition for the LA show, which is in September. And I had never, ever done anything like that before. Like I've opened up to people. I've opened up to my therapist. I've opened up to individuals like one-on-one. I've written songs and performed, but I've never gotten up on stage and spoken to an audience about what it's like living and dealing with anxiety. So I saw the opportunity to try something new, and I pushed myself outside of my comfort zone a little. And I went in for the audition shortly after they they reached out to me. And I just I winged the audition because I didn't really know what to do. I've like yet I've never done anything like that, so I just I was like, you know what, I am just gonna tell a story of how I got into music. And play a song. So I did that. I went in. It was a little bit longer than what they wanted. But again, I didn't know what I was doing. Shooting from the hip, as they say. So I just went in. I told the story of listening to the first song that really struck a chord with me, pun intended, (laughs) and made me want to pick up guitar. And after that, I I played them the very first song that I ever released 100% by myself, wrote by myself, didn't have anyone else work on it at all. And it was just like this is all me just to kind of cement what was going from this inspired me to pick up a guitar. And this is me having the confidence to share my art, like without working with anybody else by myself. And I left, I was like, I feel better about doing that. I feel more comfortable and more in control. And like, my anxiety is not as strong. Even though it's still there, like, I, I feel like I'm more in control, but I didn't really know what to expect. I was like, well, if I get it, if I don't get it, I don't get it. But a few days later they called me and said that I had passed the audition. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: It looks like a really cool show. I'm open to, I, can, I should get there to check it out. Yeah, man. I would totally love to see it. Yeah. You we'll can, grab a beer. Perfect. say you have a time machine and you can go back and you can meet younger JD when the anxiety started to develop, when you started having these thoughts, what would you, oh, what man. advice would you give young JD?
1: I feel like that's a long <laughs> list because where we're going, we won't need roads. God. First of all, I'm just going to establish right now in this hypothetical situation that my time machine is in fact a DeLorean. That's so difficult. I guess I would try to... I would try to establish that... The, that's a really difficult question. There's so much I want to say to young JD. I would probably try to... Give the advice to believe in yourself, to be extremely cliche, because that's something that I've just literally always struggled with. But at the same time, it's for all the things that I've experienced and all the things that I've done, all the things that I haven't done, it's am who I am partially because of my experiences. So it's like, would I give myself advice to change that and potentially change who I am now? Would I still be me? Would I still be as big an advocate for mental health would i be doing something else that's a really good question i feel like i'm looking way too into this more into this than might be intended but that right there is a sign that's of a the point,
0: uh, you've gone into the whole butterfly effect thing here these what the multiverse or whatever there's a different jd on different <laughs> parallel universes one is you know, who you are today another one is what if you treated your anxiety, you managed it from a way earlier age, and you didn't become this advocate. You didn't become this. Sp- one One is an ah, investment banker. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> know about investment <laughs> banking. That would give me anxiety. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that, uh- oh, God. That's, yeah, no. I can say that, without a doubt, one thing I would tell myself that really seems insignificant, but I, I know for a fact would help, practice to a metronome. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like adamant against using a metronome because i like I don't need a metronome I'm just going to be all cool and be perfect all the time and even though that was the opposite of how I actually felt I was trying to like overcompensate so I would be like young JD use a metronome